Okay, um, <clears throat> well, so we're in a new series. I think you know that. And the new series is about the awesome wonder of Christmas. Hopefully you know that one too. Um, we want to look at the Christmas story, but with fresh eyes. And we're really looking at just one character in the Christmas story, and that character is God. What does the Christmas story tell us about the awesome wonder of God? That's the big idea. Now, today we're going to do things a little bit different. Today, I have brought more than a visual, right? Caitlin is going to be co-teaching with me, and it's really exciting. Um, This is going to be like her first time uh, doing this, and it's awesome, Um, or at least here at CLC. And the message really is about worship. So who better to ask to, to, to join me up here than our worship director? Amen? So, oh, yes. Okay. You know, they don't really clap for me, so... I hope you feel good right now. It's, it's, it's cool. This is good. This is a good thing. Um, now, here's the second thing that's different. Now, I told you it's Christmas, but here's the thing. We're not going into the nativity narrative. I didn't know if you were thinking Mary and Joseph today. Sorry. But next week we will, okay? But, but we are doing Christmas in concept, okay? You're like, what does that mean? All right, let me explain. Today we're asking the question of what happens when ordinary people, okay, uh, no offense, but like we're all like ordinary people, right? Like no one here is an Avenger, amen, or, right? We're all kind of like ordinary people. What happens when, an, when ordinary people have an encounter with an extraordinary God? That, that's the question we're asking, okay? What, what happens in that interchange in that dyna- extraordinary God m- meeting like ordinary people. Now, that, that's the big question. I'm setting the stage, the big question, because it's about worship, okay? But I wanted to give you guys, like, some sort of visual, interactive, okay, just to kind of get our minds going. So, I'm thinking of what would be an object, this is a little bit on the sacrilegious side, what would be an object that could represent God? Like, if you're, if you're, if you're looking here, now, I, I've identified it. I would say, it's this. So if I can borrow this from the Advent um, uh, setup, I hope that's okay. All right. So I would say, what could be a good representative of God, you know, uh, something uh, dynamic, something powerful, right? Something irresistible. Whenever there's a flame, I'm just always looking at it. Okay. So maybe this is a good representative, like, like Holy Spirit has been likened to fire in the scripture. Okay. Fire, right? Here you guys say Fire. Okay, now what could be representative of us? And I thought about this too. And uh, so what I have uh, in my hand is a a, a toothpick, but not just a toothpick, but it's a used toothpick. Oh, that's wonderful. It's been in here a couple times. All right, here we go. so, so, So this represents something extraordinary, holy, dynamic, powerful, irresistible. And this represents something that's not. All right, so um, here we go. Uh, here, here, what happens when, these, when, when this has an encounter with this, right? The, the, you know that when you put these together, something dynamic happens. Like no one's going to, you know that something dynamic is going to happen. So today we're talking about what is that, that interchange that happens when extraordinary God meets with ordinary people. That's the idea. Now let me, let me put it this way. Today, we're going to talk about 
two scriptures of two men. They lived 700 years apart, okay? Two ordinary men. Um, But, but, it's a big but, but they lived extraordinary lives. I mean, these men and their lives were just set on fire. There was such a supernatural dynamicism to their lives that um, their, their work just changed the world. Okay, these men are Peter and these men are Isaiah. Now, here's the, here's the thing. If you look at both of their lives, you can trace all of their activity to this one moment, this one day where they encountered God. And they would say, at that moment, I met God. My whole life was, was set on a new trajectory. Now, now here's the thing. <clears throat> they had an experience of worship, and then their lives were changed, which has profound implications for what we do Every Sunday morning, like when we're there and we're praying for everyone, we, we kind of know what could happen. That when God meets with people, boom, so, something, something happens and their, their lives are set on a new course. And so we pray for that. And it's like, I don't know, do you guys want that? I mean, like, is there something in part of you like, I want to be touched by God like that. I want to, I, I want to come under his fire, if you will. And so that dynamic interchange is what we're talking about today. It really is about worship. And so that's what we're unpacking. Okay, so Caitlin is going to take us through a scripture where one attribute of God just keeps on getting repeated over, right? And it is, I'm just going to tell you what it is. It's the attribute of God's holiness. So, so, uh, Let's just, like, um, define holiness, okay? So, Caitlin, uh, can you start off by giving us a definition? How would you define the holiness of God? Um, So let's go simple um, for a second. Let's break down the idea of holiness. When, When most of us think of the idea of holiness, our minds immediately go to purity. Uh, We think of morally good, morally perfect, um, and that definition of, of holiness as purity is definitely there. Purity is definitely in that definition. But it's, it's really more of a secondary element. It's our number two definition. Holiness is moral perfection. Right? But our number one definition is, um, is this. It's to be transcendently separate. Those are huge words. So uh, what does that even mean? Um, so let's break it down even further. Transcendence literally means to, to climb across or to rise above something, to go above and beyond a certain limit. And so when we're talking about the transcendence of God, we're talking about how he is so far um, above and beyond us. When you look at the word separate, separate comes from the word that means to cut, to separate. Think of it as, as being a cut above something. And so by definition, it is superior in every way. So when you put those two words together, that God is transcendently separate, it means that God is a cut above. He is so far above and beyond us that he almost seems totally foreign to us. We, we have no idea how to comprehend something like that. And so if that didn't make sense, like the one thing you remember, God is a cut above. He is so above that he is different. The holiness of God is, is 
like a it's a difficult thing to comprehend and to grasp. But one of the clearest and, and most beautiful passages in the Bible that demonstrate the glory of a holy God is found in Isaiah 6. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that for us, and you guys can follow along. But I just encourage you to, like, just really get in there. If you have to close your eyes, just imagine it. It's, it's amazing. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it says, The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isn't that amazing? Were you able to imagine it? Were you able to just picture yourself there? It says here in the first sentence that this was the year that King Uzziah had died. And this was a king who had reigned for 52 years, and he was now dead. And the people are lost. They, they don't know what to do. And then Isaiah goes, and he enters the temple. He looks up, and what does he see? heaven. For, for a brief moment, the, ve the veil is lifted and Isaiah sees a glimpse of heaven. He sees God himself sitting upon a throne, exalted, high and lifted up, and literally the train of his robes filling the entire temple. Just imagine this whole place filled with robes. He sees the true king of kings, enthroned, sitting on the throne in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. And on top of that, he sees um, surrounding this heavenly throne are none other than angels. Multitudes and multitudes of angels that are surrounding. And it says here the seraphim, uh, seraphim, which means burning ones. They're literally burning with adoration for God. Angels whose, whose sole job is to be there in his presence and just worship. And just worship and worship. And to minister to God in his immediate presence. And this is a place where the glory of God is so radiant. And so glorious and so extraordinarily holy. That even, even the angels had to cover their face. Even the angels had to shield their eyes from looking directly at the unveiled glory displayed in the face of God. Even the angels. And so I know you might be thinking, like, this is a, a little too foreign for me to imagine. Like, that's way over here. I don't, I don't know. Um, but for me, it's something, this is, this is how I look at it. This is what helps me. I think of it as um, looking at the sun, um, for those of you who don't know me, I, I love hikes. Um, I love hikes, and don't get me wrong, it's really not about exercise whatsoever um, at all. <laughs> I would do without it. Um, and it's not entirely about the company, though I really appreciate those dedicated friends who wake up really early and, and come with me. 
And it's absolutely not because I like waking up in the wee hours of the morning. Um, I love hikes because I love watching the sun rise. And a few months ago in October, I had, I had the opportunity to go on my last sunrise hike of the year. Um, Jared and Tiffany, they invited me to go, and, you know, everything in my body was like, don't do this to yourself. <laughs> like, you're tired, you know, you got a lot of stuff to do, don't do it. Um, but I couldn't help it. And I, I couldn't resist the thought of seeing the sun rise for the last time this year. Because I'm not going to wake up again. <laughs> um, and so we went. We went hiking. And after about 20 minutes of very, very steep, steep hills, um, we make it to the place with the best view. The best place to see the sunrise with minutes to spare. And, and I just, I find my spot. I plop down, and you know what? I, I honestly don't even know what Jared and Tiffany were doing in my mind. They disappeared. Um, but I sat there, and, and it was just me and the thing in front of me. And I was, I was, I sat there waiting, like anticipating. Um, my eyes were, were like huge, probably the biggest you've ever seen my eyes, just peeled at the line where the earth meets the sky because I didn't, I didn't want to miss it. I, I didn't want to miss any of it. And, and, and so I waited. And slowly the sun began to rise and rays filled the darkness and it was absolutely breathtaking. It was beautiful. Um, but the, the more that went on, the, the higher the sun started to rise, uh, the more <laughs> my eyes could not take it. Like, I tried, I tried really hard to look at the sun, and I couldn't do it. Um, it became so overwhelmingly bright uh, that I had to physically, I was like this, I was sitting there, and I was like this, covering my face from, from being blinded. It was so beautiful, yet so... Uh, it's too much to, to handle. Um, but even then, my desire to see the sun was so great. It was, it was too strong, too irresistible, and I, I really didn't want to look away. After we finished the hike, I think I was still in that, in that state of awe of what I had seen that morning. And, and I, I, you know, I said, bye, Jared, Tiffany. I need to go by myself and just process all of this and respond in really the only way that I knew how. And... That was to worship. Um, see, I love sunrises. I love the sun, not because of the sun in itself. Um, I love the sunrise because it reminds me, it points me to God's glory. It points me to his utter holiness. A holiness that is so irresistible and so glorious and so different from anything that I could even comprehend. And the only response is worship. Isaiah says, one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, 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 as if one time was not enough. Holy, holy, holy. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the seraphim too, and, and it says this of them. It says, day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, 
who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. They don't, they don't cease. At every moment of every day, they are singing and they are praising and they are, they are worshiping and giving glory and honor and majesty to his holy name. It's because the holiness of God, it, it moves us to worship. But that's not always the case, right? I'm sure, I'm sure we all know that's not always the case. Um, in the beginning, we said that the response to ordinary people encountering a holy God is dynamic. It's, it's one that brings us to awe and wonder. But the other one is quite the opposite. Isaiah sees a glimpse of heaven, and this is his response. He says, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah sees the holiness of God in all of its majesty, and his immediate response is not one of awe like the angels. His immediate response is one of sheer terror and fear. He says, woe is me, woe is me. He's basically cursing his own existence. He says, for I am lost. Other translations say, I am ruined, I am undone. One look at the holiness of God and Isaiah is completely deconstructed. He falls apart. His whole being, his whole identity is um, traumatized by the reality of his sin in contrast to God's holiness. Because holy and unholy, they just don't, they just don't go together. So I'm wondering if, if you're like listening to the Caitlin's teaching on Isaiah 6, and suddenly you find the teaching kind of take a turn that you didn't expect it to take. You know, it's like, I, I get the awe, and, but then all of a sudden you're talking about, like, terror and, like, trauma. Um, and, well, I mean, she was just, I mean, it's not like she made it up. She was, she was walking us through Isaiah 6. What, what if I told you that 700 years later, okay, there's a man named Peter, and he also has a profound experience uh, with God. What if I told you that the same thing happens? You know, like maybe if it was once, you'd be like, oh, no, that's Isaiah. But what if I told you the same thing happens with Peter and he's with Jesus? So if you turn to Luke 5, I'm going to walk through that. And it's the same movement. It's like, oh, right? But then it goes, boom, terror. Again, we weren't kind of expecting that. But maybe Isaiah, maybe this is actually the way it goes. Okay, so what I'm going to show you is a picture of the lake of Gennesaret, Okay. Uh, another word, uh, another, it also goes by other names like the Sea of Galilee. Now, that's the actual picture. How many of you guys have actually seen that with your, your own naked eyes? Like Calvin has been there. Tim has been there too. I didn't know that. Really? That's really cool. Um, and, and so that's what that lake looks like. It's a lot more pretty than I thought it would look, actually. I just found that picture uh, the day before yesterday. I'm going to tell you the story of what happened at that lake, okay? Now, um, if you've never read this before, read it when you go home but I'm going to walk us through the story pretty quick. Um, the story is what happened. It, uh, there is two fishermen. They're brothers. There's Peter. There's Andrew. They're in the boat. They just fished the whole night. Didn't catch a thing. 
The name for that is they got skunked, right? Is that right? Okay. Um, and so maybe they're discouraged. Uh, that's their bread and butter. They didn't make anything. They're washing their nets. They're ready to put it away. I think it's probably like daytime, right? Jesus comes. Jesus like gets on their boat and preaches to the crowds. And then he turns to Peter and he says, okay, now, here and now, I want you to take those nets, those nets that you actually cast like a like hundred times last night and didn't catch anything, throw it into the lake. Now, he doesn't say this, but I know what Peter's thinking. What is Peter? He is not just a fisherman. He is a professional fisherman, okay? If anyone knows this lake, it's Peter. You all with me? Uh, what is Jesus? He's a landlubber, right? He's a, he's a guy who, he doesn't know this lake that I know this lake. Now, what does Peter know? Peter knows, number one, this is not the time you fish. This is the time you put away your nets. I, I know this lake. I know when the fish, I know fish. I know when they bite. This is not the time. Here's another thing he knows. Right here in the middle of the lake is not the place to throw the nets. You throw them at the side. You throw them where the river comes in, providing fresh nutrients. You don't do it here. Okay, Jesus says, do it here. Okay, Jesus, I'll do it because you say so. He throws it out. Now, here's another thing that I also know. Pastor Calvin has told me this. Every fisherman has a dream of hitting the mother load. Amen? Okay, you, you always, I mean, you have a, a story that you exaggerated on, but you also have this dream of like, oh, right? It, it's never happened before. You're chasing after that dream. Peter hits the mother load, right? Two boats full of fish. All right, now, now in verse 9, I want to I make the case for awe and astonishment. I don't think I need to go very far. In verse 9, it says, all who were with him were, what's the word? Astonished. Okay, another translation says amazed. Another translation says astounded. Today we're going to say they were in awe and wonder. All right, they were in awe and wonder. This man, this is way more than just a big catch. It's way more than just hitting the mother load. Peter sees through what just happened. He sees that this is a miracle. It's a sign in the wonder. It's all pointing to the identity of this man. And the veil is lifted, and Peter is taking a glimpse of who Jesus really is. It's kind of like Isaiah being able to see God in the throne room. Jesus is, he, you know, just imagine this. Don't take this the wrong way. I just imagine Peter looking at Jesus and seeing through it and just going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, you get the idea. This man is the cut above. Are we all tracking along here? All right, now... Again, I, I think this is all very explainable, but it takes a turn. It takes a turn in the same way that Isaiah took a turn, which is kind of counterintuitive. Peter says something we weren't expecting him to say. He says at that moment, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Interesting, right? It's almost like when Peter saw the real Jesus, he saw the real Peter, right? It's almost like, now I see you, and now I can see myself or who I really am. And what he, what he saw was that there is this huge problem. This fire and this toothpick can't go together without the toothpick burning up, without the toothpick being incinerated. Holy and sin can't go together 
perfect and far from perfect can't go together. It's the same problem that Isaiah saw in the throne room. It's the same problem. Now, I need to put this. I need to put this in there. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. So on the one hand, he says, like, like, depart from me. Like, you need to be far away from me. But notice how he fell. Now, if, if Caitlin represents holy Jesus, okay, and I really want to say, hey, get away from me. Would I fall towards her? I think I would fall away, or I think I might jump out the boat. Even though it's my boat, but this is a scary moment, I might jump off the boat. Peter doesn't do that, which makes me feel like I think he actually found Jesus irresistible. You know this because he, he follows him after this moment, and his whole life has changed. But he also says, I know intuitively you and I can't be together. There's a huge problem there. Okay. So how is this problem resolved? How can a holy God meet with unholy people? How can a flame ever coexist with a toothpick? How can the beautiful, the majesty, uh, and the ordinary go hand in hand with the ordinary just getting burned up and incinerated? Did you know that the answer to this is Christmas? Christmas is actually God's answer to this problem. I don't know if, 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 you, if, if you thought of it that way. Christmas is the answer. It's exactly why Jesus came down from heaven. It's why God became a baby. You see, the baby that was put into a wooden manger would la- later grow up and be put on a wooden cross. You see, this baby whom you could reach out and you could touch and you can play with his hand would have grown into a man and you could take his hand, you can drive a nail through it. This baby wrapped in swaddling cloths would one day have his tunic torn away from him and his mother who groaned at his childbirth would be there and groan to watch him die. You see, this tension of how a holy God can come together and be with unholy people was resolved from Christmas all the way to the crucifixion. The only way to cleanse all of humanity who would believe would require nothing less than the life of holy God himself. The Holy One revealed his amazing grace by sacrificing himself out of love. Now, let's go back to worship. What does this mean? And Caitlin will unpack that. So at this point in the message, we have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. Um, We have seen how the encounter of unholy people with the holy God results in a dynamic response. One of awe and wonder and one of terror and trauma, um, which, which is resolved by his grace. And it's in these two things where we find two very powerful reasons to worship. The first one comes from an understanding of who we are worshiping. Our God is transcendently separate. He is uh, completely different from anything we know. He is a cut above. Perfect in purity, holy, holy, holy. And simply for who he is, we are moved to worship. The second reason comes from an understanding of what our holy God did for us. For it's, it's in his grace that is completely uh, undeserved and scandalous um, that melts our hearts to worship. 
We aren't stuck anymore in, in the trauma of our sin, but we are healed and we're cleansed and we're forgiven by the sacrifice of our holy God. The holiness of God moves us. The grace of God melts us. This, this very thing, that's what makes us go from duty to delight. What makes us say, okay, God, not only do you get my obedience, but you also get, you also get my passion, and you also get my heart. You also get my entire life. Because the holiness of God is enough to move us. But when we see what holiness did out of love, it melts us, it melts us to worship. Okay, so now, now in the message, uh, we actually want to start talking about some application. Okay, and so we wanted to kind of do this in interview style. Uh, I'm going to ask like the hard question, and then Caitlin has to provide the answers. So how does that, I think that, that just sounds like a great way to set this up. Um, and so we're really thinking through like practicals. How do we apply all this? Um, how do we apply all this? Like uh, for people who are here this Sunday morning, we're here ready to, to worship. We've been worshiping. Um, how, how does this all work? And so, um, okay, let me, let me take us back. <clears throat> so remember, there was a question I asked in the beginning of the message, which is, what happens when an extraordinarily holy God comes and encounters, like, ordinary, unholy people, right? Now, okay, that's the question. Let me give you a very basic answer to that question, all right? Uh, let me tell you what doesn't happen. What doesn't happen is, like, neutrality. Y- you all with me? Like, toothpick, fire. It's not like, it's not like oh, you know, nothing happened. What doesn't happen is indifference, okay? What doesn't happen is like, oh, yeah, there's just, you know, uh, Switzerland, okay? It, it, Switzerland doesn't happen. You all, you all with me? You, you follow World War II? Okay. But not neutrality. Not neutrality. Um, there is something dynamic that, that happens when the two come together. So this is uh, the quest, first question that I'm thinking maybe people are asking. Certainly, um, I, I ask this a lot. So, Caden, let's say I come on, on Sunday, and uh, maybe I'm ready to worship, but maybe part of me is not, I'm kind of distracted, I'm thinking about other things, and so we're doing worship, but I'm just not feeling it. I'm feeling, I am feeling like Switzerland. I'm feeling indifferent, I'm feeling kind of neutral. So, I feel bad, this message is making me feel bad, like the real me is not meeting the real God. What do I do? Is, is that a fair question? You guys ever been there? You're like, I'm here, but I'm not feeling it. Uh, and then you're, you're a worship leader, so I don't know, do you ever, like, are you ever up here and not feeling it? You always seem like you're always feeling it, right? So can you, can you share about how that works? Yeah. Um, I've definitely been there. Um, and it's, it's really hard to be there and to be a worship leader. Um, but I don't have everything figured out, but one thing that I do know is the answer is not to fake it till you make it. It's, it's not to come in here and, and hide behind your mask and pretend everything is fine and I'm good, nothing's wrong. Um, it's really, the answer is to come to God. It is to be, it's to come humbly and, and to confess it and to, to say an honest prayer and say, God, I need your help. Um, the, the way that I think about it is, uh, is like this. Imagine a sailboat 
Um, for a sailboat to go, it needs two things. The first one, we need to put up our sail. But the second thing, we also, we also need wind. <laughs> we need the wind to blow to make it go. And so for us to be able to um, experience the dynamic worship of God, the wind needs to blow. Um, it, it has to be a God thing. Like God needs to blow. Right? But that does not mean that we don't do anything and we just wait for God to do his thing. We have to do our part. We have to put up our sail. Um, what does that mean? It means you come on a Sunday and you're ready to worship even if you're not feeling it. Or you, you, um, you continue reading God's word and spending time in prayer even when you don't feel like you're hearing anything. It means you continue to seek and you continue to try even when you don't feel it. It, it means not giving up. And, and God, in, I, I know this, God in his goodness and in his timing and in his grace, he will meet you and... and I can tell you that it is so, so worth it when he does. So um, <clears throat> how, how do you guys feel about this, this response? Like, um, uh, j- just to review what Caitlin was saying. So if we're, we're here on Sunday morning and we're singing these incredible songs about God and I'm not feeling it, you know, I'm not really into it. There's nothing really going on here. I think Caitlin's first word was, you know, it, it's not fake it till you make it. Y- y'all hear that? It's not like, hey, just keep on pretending until you feel it. It's not, no, 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 no. But you were saying, what we do is we, we're honest. So we come, we come to God. We say, God, I'm not feeling it, but I'm here, and I want to feel it. So in this place, I'm just going to wait upon you. I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm going to do the words. I'm going to sing the words, but I'm actually expecting and asking God to meet me in here. You know, it's like, here's my throne room, and I want you to, to, to be the one that I worship. So I don't know about you, but some, there are times when I'm, when I'm here or I'm having a quiet time and I'm not feeling it, you know. And I think what we want to say is you have some options, you know. You can come to God hungry. You can come to God empty. And just like Caitlin was saying, put up your sail, right? And you're like, Lord, I'm doing my part, but unless your wind blows, we're not going anywhere. So I need you to meet me in this moment. Um, okay, Caitlin, uh, how about a, a second question, which is, um, which is, which is this? What, what if, um, what if people are here? And, you know, I was saying that, you know, Isaiah and, and Peter, like there's some trauma. I'm wondering if there are people here and you really get the trauma. Like you, you, intuitively, you really feel like, no, 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 I, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm broken. I know I have sin, right? And so honestly, this amazing portrayal of God just makes me kind of afraid, you know? Like I actually feel like I'm going to be that toothpick. I'm going to be incinerated. And so maybe since you're aware of your own sin, it doesn't make you move towards God like, like Peter did. It kind of makes you actually want to jump off the boat. But you don't jump off the boat. You just kind of avoid God. You know, I just, that's just not a good combination, him and me, like meeting. And so I'm just kind of kind of play it safe and kind of hide away, kind of avoid. So what would you say to, to people who just feel like, well, I get the fear and it just doesn't make me want to go towards God? What would you say? Um, okay, I have a story that best 
answers this. Um, let me take you back to my freshman year at, in, in college. I had a uh, roommate, a to totally random girl, um, and she, she definitely lied about a lot of stuff on her application because we were not similar at all. <laughs> long story short, I don't want to focus on all this stuff, but long story short, Imagine like all the stereotypically bad roommate stuff you hear in the movies and stories, uh, all put into one person. <laughs> that was her. <laughs> um, that was her. And I was, you know, there were times where I felt so miserable, but I'm a nice person, so I was polite and I just kept it all in. <laughs> and, um, there was this one time where she, she asked me for something really insignificant. Like she, I think her, her laptop was not working. It was broken, and so she asked me to borrow mine. Um, and this little thing that you would think is, you know, not a big deal, complete, just drew, pushed me over the edge. <laughs> but me being nice, Caitlin, sure, you know, and I gave her my laptop. Uh, I left the room, and I went into the lounge. I sat with some friends. And then I just... I just exploded. <laughs> like, I started saying stuff, and it just kept coming out and out, and all the stuff that I've been, you know, keeping in just came out. I said some pretty, pretty nasty things, like things you would not even imagine would come out of this mouth. Uh, <laughs> I think at one point I, I said something like, she doesn't even deserve to be here. Like, I don't know how she got into Cal. But it was just, it was really, really mean. Um, but all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, shh, shh, and then my friends, they like, and I, I freeze, and I look, and I slowly turn, and um, at the other end of the very, very small room sat my roommate, who, uh, she had her back turned, but she was there, and she got up, and she left, and I was like, like, the, at that moment, I feel like the world just stopped. Like, I was horrified. I was horrified at myself. Um, I, you, you guys might not think it's that bad, you know, but for me, that was the first moment that I realized I was sinful. The first moment that I, I realized I was capable of such sin. Um, and I was completely undone. Like Isaiah, I was completely mortified. And, you know, I didn't want to go and talk to her um, and yeah, I, ju I just didn't. I'm, on, I'm an avoider. Uh, but I knew that I had to, and so I, I made my way back into the room and caught her right before she, she had to leave. And I said, Hey, um, I didn't know, I don't know if you heard when you were in the lounge, but, and, and then she stopped me. She was like, Hey, you know, I didn't hear anything. I really didn't. So it's okay. You really don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell me. And, and I, uh, <laughs> I was crying at that point. In tears, I was like, no, no, I, re I really do. Um, and ugly crying at this point. <laughs> and I, was just, I start telling her all the stuff that I had said, all the really mean stuff. And, and I start apologizing, just profusely apologizing. And, and then she did something that I totally did not expect but will always remember. Um, she looked at me, full of compassion. She embraced me, and she said the words, Caitlin, I forgive you. Um, 
Yes, we have a holy God. We have a God who is so holy, he is a cut above. Um, but we also have a God who is loving, so gracious that when we humbly come to him in all of our sinfulness, in all of our brokenness, he looks upon us with compassion and he embraces us. He paid the, the, the greatest price. He already paid the greatest price to forgive us. And so that's why we come to him. So come to him, come to him. Let his holiness move you, but let his love and grace melt you to worship. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy. Your glory fills the entire earth, God. And it's so far from anything that we can comprehend. It's so glorious and so beautiful. And that is you. That is our God. And we are ordinary people. We are sinful people. Who, who, when we come to you, our first thing is, is terror, it's trauma, it's fear. But you sent your son, God. You sent your son, Jesus, to the cross, to earth. A holy God who, who sacrificed himself so that that holy and unholy could be together. And we thank you so much for that, God. And so I just pray that as we continue to respond, if we're any of those people who are indifferent by the holiness of God, or we're thinking, I'm just too sinful. I, I can't, I can't do it. It's just easier for me to avoid. Lord, I just, I pray that you would reveal your goodness and your love to them. That you would remind them that you are a holy God, but you are a loving God. In your holiness, you sent your son to us, God. I pray that we would not um, leave this place and feel indifferent, but God, I pray that we would leave this place and see more of who you are, and that would cause us to worship with our entire being, with our entire life, God. And if we're not there, help us to be there, God. Help us to want to be there. We love you so much. We love you. We love you. Thank you for being our holy God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.